The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Well, I want to read our scripture to us this morning, but um, as we've been kind of looking at a number of psalms, Uh, particularly the Psalms are a book uh, in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, I never want to take for granted that people know exactly where everything is. But the Psalms are a book um, that are a collection of songs. And the ones we've been looking at in particular are called the Psalms of Ascent. And they're a, a collection between Psalm 120 and 134 that really mention the fact that uh, there was worship going on in, in Jerusalem and pilgrims would gather. And along the way, this collection of Psalms was sung by those who would travel somewhat of 90 uh, miles, even on to 100 miles on foot, uh, just to get to Jerusalem for some of the, the Jewish festivals that happened uh, three times a year. And these Psalms have different... Uh, different kind of types of heart in them. Some talk about Jerusalem itself and you know, longing to be there. Some are uh, the pilgrims on their way, just experiencing what, it was, what it's like to live in their land and what it's like going there. The one we're looking at today is Psalm 126. And it begins by just saying, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. I remember... Um, <clears throat> Uh, when I was, it was a regular old fraternity meeting, uh, <laughs> one of those back in the day. And uh, it was one of the last ones of the year. And uh, a lot of the, the guys were in the room as a fraternity meeting can go. And people love to hear their own voices. And we all stand up and talk and say things. But it was one of the end of the year where the seniors got up to talk. And I remember one in particular, a guy stood up and he said, guys, this is the best it gets. I mean, this is, this is like the pinnacle. This is so amazing. We're never gonna have a time like this again. <laughs> I remember like listening to that and going, are you serious right now? Like, is this, is this really the best it gets? But, but isn't that the feeling? Isn't that the, the feeling that we've had? Maybe you've been in a place like that before where you've experienced something so dramatically wonderful in your life, an event, uh, maybe even a few years, maybe it was the college days. And you kind of look back and you think, man, if I could just hold on to this. It's kind of like Bruce Springsteen had in, uh, in Glory Days, uh, the, the, when he says trying to recapture some a little bit of the glory of, we're always trying to reach back and hold on to that. If we could just hold on to it. But is it, is it the best it gets? Well, listen to what this psalmist says in Psalm 126 as we look here together. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, as we look at this and you hear even in there, the psalmist saying, the the Lord has done great things for them. Even other people outside looking in were saying, man, this is the best it gets. (laughs) 
What's going on in this psalm? As, as the psalms do sometimes, it's perfectly split in half. And it's talking about joy and it's talking about the, them recapturing the great joy that they had in the past. First, verses one through three are really talking about something in the past that they're, they're looking back to. The glory days, right? Looking back to those days. If we could just recapture a little bit of what that is. And we're gonna talk about that in a second. What is that? That, that they remember the joy that they had at that time. It was like a dream, it says. And then verses four through six are actually where they are in the present. That the the past is there, but it's kind of caught up with them in the reality of the present. And they were saying, restore our fortunes now where we are. We're feeling the despair. We're feeling the, the separation from reality that you really are with us. And what does it really mean to live in that joy in the present? It's one thing to remember the joy. It's another thing to live in it. I love how Eugene Peterson says this about joy. He says, joy builds from the past and borrows from the future. And that's actually our outline for today. Uh, look at those two things that, that we need to remember joy and what it means that build, joy builds from the past. But what does it mean that we live in the joy and borrow from the future, hoping and looking for? Because that's what this psalm is talking about. You know, when the psalm begins and it says this, it says it twice, but in two different ways. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, as verse one, and then for, even in verse four, says it again, restoring the fortunes. Restoring the fortunes wasn't just uh, something of money or treasury. What this was actually talking about was when Israel was captured, uh, first by Assyria and then by Babylon, they were there for 70 years in Babylonian captivity. And then at one moment, were released. Now imagine this, for 70 years, and we, we've been in somewhat of a lockdown phase and going in and out of that in our country and navigating this. But imagine being take, stripped away from your home, taken to a foreign land, and completely placed in a place where you're not only a foreigner, where you have no, you don't know the language well, you don't know the, the, the rituals, the life around you, anything around you, it's all unfamiliar. And then you're also sent into some sort of slavery. You're put into another place and being imprisoned for 70 years. And then all of a sudden, after that release, they're brought back into their own land. Freedom is theirs. And, and what does it say? It says, we're like those, when we restored the fortunes, when they were released from the oppression, that deep oppression that happened over and over and over and over, they were restored. And it was like those who dream, it just all at once, everything came back to them. They were brought back. It was so wonderful that there were shouts of joy. It was a dream. We were overwhelmed. In fact, the word dream is an overwhelming sensation of something. I remember asking my dad, um, <clears throat> I was talking to him as he was uh, a young boy. He was just a young boy when World War II ended. And I was trying to think, what is it like now living in this time? Because he and I were on the phone and we were talking about what's it like living in, in a pandemic, which is really strange and none of us have ever really seen before. And I was kind of trying to think, what is somewhat like this? That when it ended? And I said, you know, he was, he was young. And I said, what, do you remember what it was like when the war ended? He said, all he remembers is that when the news of World War II ended, everyone went out on the front lawns. And he just remembers this as a kid. This is all he remembers. 
And everyone was shouting and screaming and rejoicing and hugging and looking at each other from lawn to lawn across the street and saying, it's over. And the shouts of joy in the neighborhood just rose and cried out. That, that's kind of what's happening here. All at once, all at once, everything's restored and everything they receive back. And all you hear are shouts of joy. Shouts of praise. It, even the word shouts of joy, it's a crying, a ringing out of, cry, uh, uh, it's considered in Hebrew, a ringing cry. It's so loud and so effective, even as the thunder rings around me. It's, it's almost like that. It's this ringing cry of joy and elation. And, and, and really, that's what it says here. It says, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. That, that phrase, shouts of joy, is in here three times, both in the first half and second half of this. And why? Why is it shouts of joy? There's a couple things that remember joy. How, how does joy build on the past? It's this, it builds on what has been done. What is joy? C.S. Lewis, as many have used to talk about joy, actually talks about this a lot because joy is what actually encouraged C.S. Lewis to become a Christian. Uh, he was not a Christian at the time. And as he explored what joy was and what this meant, that joy had to be something different than just an elation. It had to be something different than just a, uh, a, a, some sort of a feeling. That joy actually moved C.S. Lewis to consider, is Christianity true? Because it, it, it builds on something. There's something more to it. And here's what he talks about when he, he discusses what joy really is. He says this from his book, Surprised by Joy. He says, most people, if they really learned to look into their own hearts would know that they do want and want something acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. The longings, that's what we typically think, which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. There was something we grasped at and at that first moment longing, which then just fades away in reality. Because typically we think of joy as something like that. There are arrows, there are so many things that we can experience. And that's what pushed him to think further beyond those moments, those moments when you experience an incredible movie or you experience a, a concert or a visit to the beach or, or a relationship or moments of, 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 of feeling that, that passion and drive. And yet that's not joy itself. It's pointing to a deeper joy. That's just tastes of that joy. It's not an, joy isn't an elusive feeling. It's actually a moment fixed in time, but praise comes from that. That's why it's shouts of joy here. Notice that, it's interesting. Uh, this is even what C.S. Lewis says. What praise is, is, is the completion of joy. Praise is when we feel joy and we experience the reality of joy set. And so we shout it. That's what is happening. They're shouting joy because they've experienced such a deep, profound, momentous thing in being released that it overwhelms them. I remember going to um, 
U2 concert. They're my favorite band. I've, I've been wanting to see them forever. I saw them at Vanderbilt um, over here at the, in, the, uh, in the stadium. And uh, just the whole thing of it. I mean, it, and it was in the middle of July. It was actually years ago about this time of the year. And it was so hot. Um, and just, it was just dripping sweat, no breeze blowing through. It was just awful in terms of that, but I, I didn't care at all. And the more that the concert went on, uh, the more you just felt this, this, uh, you were a part of something larger. And the thing that really struck me was at the very end when they were playing uh, a song, there was a guy they pulled up from the audience and um, he, he, he got to play on Edge's guitar and play um, All I Want Is You. And uh, I love that. And, and it was a, a beautiful moment. And Bono sang with him. Well, I, re- I didn't even know this. And it was so incredible right at the end of the song. Uh, you know, he's about to take the guitar off and give it back. And Bono's like, no, keep it. And you can kind of see Edge's face. He's kind of like, are you giving him my guitar? Uh, and this guy leaves. And, and, uh, and I never, I, I, after that moment, it wasn't just the moment of that song in that concert that produced such a joy that we were all singing together and cheering. It was even after when I heard the song again on, you know, on the radio or uh, on my, uh, on my uh, iPhone, I was able to hear the song and it took on a whole new meaning because the momentous joy from that moment fixed in time came again from that. And I even learned afterwards that what built even off of that, that, I, that the man I heard, um, I saw it on YouTube later, that he was actually blind. <laughs> that he actually, one reason they brought him up is his friends held signs up saying, he can't, he, our, our friend is here, he's blind, he'd love to play with you and he knows this song and he, could, he played it uh, blind and it was so beautiful. Such that picture for him to be a part of that. And it even built more off of that song for me to love that. That's the point here is that, that joy builds on something fixed. You see, the Bible, especially, particularly for the Jewish people, it builds on, joy builds on memory. That's why it says it's a dream. It was as like a dream. They're reaching back. Or then, he's saying, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was shouts of joy. Then the nations looked in. It's, it's, it's looking backwards and reminding and recalling the memory. And, that, and a lot of, uh, of the Bible does that. If you read the Bible, there are phrases over and over that memory is so important. It's huge in the, borrow, in the Bible. It's borrowing from history because it's saying that, that joy, if we're gonna have joy, it has to be set. It has to be fixed. It's not like waves coming back up and back on the shore. It doesn't change like the tide. It's fixed in moments in time to remind us that God has been faithful in the past and will be in the future. That's what's so beautiful about even tastes of this kind of joy from a concert like you too or something else that give us a, a fresh taste of it. But it also says, this is fixed and we can look back to that. Now, even when I now listen to that song, I'm transported back to a fixed moment in time. And that's even why the word gospel is used. The word gospel is used in the Bible, not as a religious term. And we've said this a number of times, but it's worth repeating that the word gospel is even used because it's news. It's considered good news. It's news fixed in time. And never a news that was meant to spur opinion, but spur reaction. It's to look back to. It's to say that God entered into space and time in flesh 
to be in history a point in time that we can look back to, a point in time where we look back into that news. And it's so hard now sometimes to think about that because oftentimes even now, the good news can feel like just news, especially when we're in a moment of, gosh, we think for a moment we're you know, feeling like we're moving forward and flattening the curve and life may get back to normal. I'm watching TV shows all the time and I'm, I'm seeing these documentaries or TV shows where, where pre-COVID and people are congregating. We, and, and my wife and I will often just look at each other and say, remember when? <laughs> and you just kind of think, gosh, that, that, that was just normal life. People congregated. They went to this, they went to that. The, there was no face coverings. People just lived life. And that's what they're doing. That's the movement. The beginning here is this elation of remember when, but then it, and then it starts to settle, right? And it starts to settle in what we're really living in now, the reality. And that's the second half of the psalm, which says, restore our fortunes. It's the same beginning as the first verse, but here it's restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams in the Negev. It's a recalling back. It's a, it's a hoping it's just saying, we remember that, but now here's where we are. Restore our fortunes now. Remember when the Lord restored our fortunes, but now it is. And, and sometimes that's, even just if, if you would consider yourself a Christian, and I know this is, is I've uh, been a Christian for a number of years now. When the first moment when I became a Christian, there was this elation. It was kind of like a dream. It was, it affected everything. It hit all of those things and, and as time goes on, you can kind of feel worn down. The joy of all those things can kind of feel like they're elusive. And I think that's why so many of us can feel when we want to read the Bible or pray. And maybe of us, many of us have set that aside now and we don't do it as much because we, we don't experience joy when we go to it. But is that what we're, we're supposed to do? You know, are we supposed to just go to the Bible and hope it springs up that well of excitement again? And I think we, we think that relationship in Christianity is like that, but it's actually something much deeper. And joy is much more than that. It borrows from the future. It's something we live in and it's a tension we live in. Because right now is a weird time. I, I, I am completely discombobulated. Even this morning, <laughs> feel thrown off again that, uh, as I was talking to Aaron this morning and other people on our staff and just thinking, you know, we're, you know, at 4.45 and 5 this morning, just thinking, hey, we got to pivot. And we never feel like we have our feet firmly set somewhere. And the beauty of what the Bible's trying to get at here is not only do we remember joy, not only is joy something that builds off of the past, but it's something that's borrows from the future that, teaches us to live in the present. It holds us. See, here's what I love about the second half of this psalm, because it's honest. You know, the psalm could have ended in the first three verses, but it doesn't. It says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev streams were these places where up in the mountains, there were very, it's a very arid land. And there were a number of, if you looked at it, a number of like, looked like just dry, rocky rivets. And what would happen often is a flash flood, rain would come in and all of a sudden these streams would be full and then vegetation would just grow. And what the psalmist is praying for is, is, is that again, is this instantaneous, it's this, this, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. 
where, where they're sitting in sorrow, they're sitting in, in, in the weight and it can, it can move us if we're not careful to despair. But the, 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 the streams in the Negev are a picture of us longing for that water to come down to refresh, to bring some sort of life back. And notice in verse five, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed of sowing shall come home with shouts of joy. There it is again, bringing his sheaves with him. I think the, the, the practical drill down notes here of what the psalmist is trying to, us to, to get us to understand is first, we need to sow in tears. And that's not something we're good at. <laughs> it's not something we understand. Because I think we think of joy often as happiness. And we think of bouncing back and forth, almost even in this passage, as if this is two different people writing. But joy is more than just feeling happiness or pleasure. It's, it's a deeply rooted thing that actually doesn't get rid of sorrow. It actually sows sorrow in. It farms it in. Sadness and joy go together. They hold and we're not really good at understanding that, I think, in our culture because we don't know how to suffer well. I read an Atlantic article uh, some time ago that is so perfectly appropriate for what we experience in this. And it talked about how it was written by a, a therapist, uh, actually, a therapist, who, a, a mom who talks about how her grown children and many grown children that, that she is seeing in her office don't know how to encounter suffering that everything is going so well in their life that they don't know how to encounter real joy uh, because happiness is such a fixed and pleasure so fixed in life that when they encounter any sort of suffering, it, it totally throws them off. We, that we don't know how to suffer well. And the Bible tries to teach us how to suffer well. It doesn't try to teach us that suffering is your life and that we live in sadness. That drives us to de despair which we can talk about in a sec, but I, but I think we need to learn how to suffer well. What does it mean for us to actually hold sorrow and joy, to hold the fact that we sow in tears, that we actually live in reality of, that we live in a world that is as it is, that Christianity does the opposite of what maybe many of us think it does, and many who I've talked to that may not be Christians or may are dabbling or cynical about Christianity, that, that it's not a pie in the sky deal. It sows in tears. It says there's a reality that we need to hold. That healthy maturity as a, as a human being that we were made to do and made to understand and that Christianity really draws out, the Bible is saying, is that we hold both sorrow and joy. And joy holds that, teaches us that. C.S. Lewis, again, even said in his uh, book, Surprised by Joy, he said this, joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. And what he's saying there is he's saying joy isn't something that we control, it's something that we react to. Pleasure is more in our, in, in our hands and it's something we seek. And that's typically what we confuse and why we run from sorrow and, and suffering and why it leads us to despair. Despair creeps in and despair is when sadness, when the sorrow takes over. It's, it's often when we sow, uh, maybe sow in tears and we reap in tears instead of reap with shouts of joy. Instead of maintaining hope, sadness leads to the destruction of hope. Uh, the book, one of the books I've recommended a number of times and I'll continue as we go through the Psalms is called Cry of the Soul. 
It was written by Dan Allender and Trimper Longman and beautifully written about our emotions connected to the Psalms. And uh, Trimper Longman is a, a theologian and uh, Dan Allender is a, is a therapist and they wrote it together. And they write, they've written a number of books together, this being one of my favorites. One of the things they say about despair is this, that despair is a passive, um, is a passive uh, feeling and it, it refuses to struggle against loss. And see what joy does differently and what he's saying here is sowing in tears means we're active in our sorrow. When we're, we become, in, we move to despair is when we become uh, inactive, passive towards our sorrow. Instead of taking suffering and really looking at it and dealing with it and addressing it and looking into it, to be active in it and then to say there's suffering and sorrow isn't the end, we stop there. We become passive, discombobulated, lay in it and, and wallow in it. And it leads us to despair because it, it causes us to, to be inactive. And, and, and when, then we begin to refuse to struggle against any loss instead of saying loss is a part of who we are and holding loss. Because what the Bible does is say, holding loss, holding those things leads to more love. The, the more we look into this sowing tears, going out and weeping, right? Bearing the seed for sowing. Notice they're all active words as a farmer, an agricultural metaphor of someone holding onto their sorrow and being active with it, really dealing with it. In fact, in a lot of Psalms, David will look at uh, these things and he'll say things like, soul, why are you downcast? <laughs> he'll look at his own soul. And it's funny uh, when the psalmist and David particularly says these kind of things, because you think he's kind of like, has he lost his mind? <laughs> Um, what he's doing is he's speaking in on his own soul. He's not letting himself become passive. He's becoming active in what's really going on in him. And that's where the joy comes from. It comes from being active there, be, being active because it says we sow in our tears and then we, it allows us to hope in what's to come because joy is definitely connected to hope. And hope in the Bible is a fixed thing. I think often we talk about hope being a, a wish fulfillment. I hope this happens. I hope we get out of what we're dealing with now. But hope in the Bible says a hope is that there's a future set. In fact, what Eugene Peterson said beautifully, joy builds on the past, but it borrows from the future. Perfect passage from this in Acts chapter two uh, and in chapter 13 when in the New Testament, when they talk about David and they talk about David in the Psalms, even talking about his own soul, they say this about him in the Psalms talking about the future. It says in Acts chapter two, verses 25, it says, for David says concerning him, that means who Jesus is. I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Hear that, make me full of gladness in your presence. And then, the, um, and then Peter and, the, and others say, brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day before being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption. You see, even David, what he was saying is not only was he speaking in on his soul to say that, that remind him of the past and where he is and to hold sorrow, but he also hoped in the future. He borrowed from the future. He looked ahead. He said, it's not just about me. Joy is something that's not just fixed in the past. It's something that's now that continues on that we borrow knowing that our future is set. This is why Jesus came. This is why it says in Hebrews 12 about Jesus, it says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. And that joy actually that he was speaking of is about us. See, here's what's incredible about this psalm. It splits in half exactly how we need to know who Jesus is. It says first, restored, remember, look back. And this is what we have to do in terms of joy. We really wanna live in that joy is we have to build on joy by knowing the gospel good news has been proclaimed. It's there. It's ours to look back to. It never changes. And it means that we can sow our tears in that. Because the good news of the gospel never changes, it's always good news over us, then we can hold sorrow and know that joy is always there. Notice joy in the New Testament in the Bible spoken of with fullness. It's a fixed fullness. And this is why we feel full when we experience joy and praise has to come from the shouts of joy come from it because it's something that we go back to and experience the fullness But here's the beauty of it. And if I had the Lord's table in front of me, the communion, I would say this. And we say it every week that when we break the bread and and pour the wine, we say, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. What are we saying? We're talking about the good news that's proclaimed, that's been done, this joy that's been set and fixed until he comes again. Not only are we building on the past, but we're borrowing from the future, knowing that Jesus hasn't just come once because of the joy set before him that is us, but he will come again. And we live in that tension now. We're called to live in that and to hold it together and to hold both. (laughs) Hold and sow in our tears to be a real people with real hearts. And we don't have to be driven to despair because we know that it's set, the good news is set, not only spoken in the past, being in the past and the joy, but it is borrowed from the future. It is our future. And it's not a hope that dissipates. It's a hope, not in a wish fulfillment, but a hope that is fulfilled in Jesus himself. Praise be to God that this is our hope. And this is what we know will be restored to us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I love this psalm. I love the fact that it reminds us that joy is something that's beyond us. It has to be outside of us. If joy was something that was just something we manufactured inside of us, then it would come and go. If it was something that was attached to the 
temporal things of this world, there's the things we experience, then it would come and go. But thank you that you give us these tastes to know just like C.S. Lewis did. Whatever, what brought him to you even was to taste the reality that joy is a part of the things that we can enjoy in this world. And yet they're tastes of a full meal that we will have together with you. And thank you that we build on that. Would we, would we work at that? Would we be a people that, that take hold of the good news of the gospel because it is there? Would we build on the past and borrow from the future and know that our joy is a part of that? so that we could live even in, in this time that's so incredibly discombobulating, that we could even live in this time with a joy that's different. Different than maybe what other people expect. Different than just, hey, we're in this together and we can make it through. But that we can actually have a joy that sows in tears and knows that our hope and our future is full because of the joy set before our Savior Jesus that he would endure the cross. And, and we praise you for this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's praise and sing our Lord together.